Welcome to Prose and Context, a podcast about life-giving teaching by the English Department at Lexington Christian Academy. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. Uh, This is Karen Elliott again. And today we're going to delve into some American literature. We're going to go to the South, and we're going to look at Margaret Mitchell's Gone with the Wind. And my podcast today is entitled... A good woman is hard to find. Well, I once read that Margaret Mitchell was once quoted as saying that in a time of weakness, I wrote a novel. Well, in my opinion, if writing one of the most translated, read, and published novels in the world was a weakness, I am really sorry that she died so young that we would never get to see her strengths. I actually decided to teach this novel a while ago, and without a doubt, for most of my high school students, whether black or white, male or female, it is their favorite. There are few novels whose characterization is so rich, even for the minor characters. At first, however, many of my students struggle. I mean, the novel is distinctly Southern, and for most of my beloved Northern New England so-called progressive Massachusetts types who have never even traveled past the Mason-Dixon line, Mitchell dispels a lot of myths. She openly condemns our beloved Harriet Beecher Stowe's Uncle Tom's Cabin. And she attacks women from Maine in a particular scene where they make racist remarks toward Uncle Peter that would make you want to change your coastal vacation plans. Mitchell shows that racism was not a Southern problem, nor is it still. It is a Northern one. And what makes Northerners far worse than Southerners, according to Mitchell, is that behind our supposed intellect, our brand name schools in our own backyard, our apparent logic and progressive politics, you've got a region of hypocrites who wear anti-slavery superhero capes. But what we're really after is money, profit, political support, and all for the building of a new economy based on the rise of industrialization. The heart of the matter is accurately expressed by the famous Rhett Butler, who not only predicts the war's outcome, but also accurately pegs and despises the root of most issues, hypocrisy. He says to Scarlett, It's only hypocrites like you, my dear lady, just as black at heart but trying to hide it, who become enraged when called by their right names. This definitely applies to all of us, as the American way is to wear your best facade to church, work, school, or on your college application. As Christians, then, it's easy to identify with Scarlett despite what we feel for or about her. She does not stand for any cause which will actually cost her anything. She is truly ambivalent. We are attracted to her because we support her ability to survive and beat the odds, to play the world at their own game and seemingly win, but we are repulsed by some of her choices and what drives her to make them. I have found personally that my students struggle the most with characters who they identify the most with. Scarlet is, as Rhett has declared, a hypocrite. She feigns righteousness when she needs to get something, and her true nature arises when she is cornered like a cat. She can be vicious, 
And at the heart of it all, she does not really care that much about what other people think, only if it means that it exempts her from the best parties. She covets another woman's husband. She marries her sister's fiance. She loves her home, though, and she will do anything to save it, even if it means offering herself physically. She says, I will not let the Yankees lick me. And, you know, don't we all feel this way? I mean, really? Scarlett lives in a world that clearly does not respect women, certainly doesn't acknowledge their intellect, and she knows that the world revolves around money, so she will do anything to get it. And all the time, she rationalizes this acquisition. She does believe in God, but she does not trust that he has her best interests in mind. In fact, she doesn't believe that anybody does. In many ways, she is the quintessential American woman, which, I don't know, I just don't think that's very flattering. Margaret Mitchell, however, does not allow her reader to praise her main character or rationalize her choices, much like we Christians want to do. Scarlet is contrasted by Melanie Hamilton Wilkes, who Rhett claims, and he makes no other claim like it about any other woman in the novel, is, and he quotes, one of the very few kind, sincere, and unselfish persons I have ever known, and moreover, for all her youth, she is one of the few great ladies I have ever been privileged to know. This is something that my female students need to hear. Melanie is not fashionable. She is thin, but not like so-called good thin. She's thin like a seventh grader who never really made it to puberty. It's noted on more than one occasion that she can't even pull off the current trend of evening gowns because she hasn't got the bust to hoist for cleavage, which was very fashionable then. She apparently has a sweet round face, though, and it's actually, as Mitchell describes, shaped like a heart. And although... You know, that might sound a little bit cliche. Melody's characterization is so strong that you realize she really is all heart. She is that self-proclaimed, brave Christian woman of the Pauline letters. And Rhett acknowledges this bravery because he knows that Melanie is sacrificial. She is not afraid to sacrifice her reputation, her life, her friendships, or even her husband for what is honorable and right. She is the only one who can save Rhett from despair when Bonnie dies, because as Mammy says, she is the only woman Rhett truly respects. And later, Scarlett admits that Melanie was the only woman friend she ever had. Melanie even loves the memory of the dead Yankees, her enemies, with much controversy as Melanie proclaims social ostracization if she cannot mourn these Yankees as sons, men, and brothers. She is kind to Belle Watling, the prostitute. She treats Rhett with kindness and gratitude like the good Samaritan when he has been expelled from Atlanta society. She honors her husband even though he is dishonorable. Melanie is truly patient, kind, does not envy, is not proud, is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not easily angered, and definitely keeps no record of wrongs. Even though the reader, whether Christian or not, 
wants her to do so. Melanie's integrity and strength never fails. And most importantly, she convicts those around her. Scarlett admits that she would burst into tears at the thought of what would be in Melanie's eyes if she would think ill of her. And Rhett claims that Melanie's unfailing love for Scarlett will be Scarlett's cross to bear. But it's one that will, even though at the last minute, weigh Scarlett's conscience and hopefully make her the woman we all knew she could really be. Melanie Wilkes is essential for our students to study. She is the one woman by the end whom my male students vow they would like to marry someday. And you know, this is really good for our girls to hear. Our girls, and honestly, like many of us, even when we were young, we are just way too swayed by so-called strong women in Hollywood who are really just worldly. We need to hear what our boys and men, like why they dislike Scarlett. And they are not swayed by her allure, beauty, even her intellect or her gumption. Our boys and men who read this novel, they see her the way Rhett sees her. She is selfish, conceited, and although smart and certainly beautiful, she does not care about being informed or even well-read because then she might actually have to think outside of her self-centered desires. Whereas Melanie is what St. Paul describes in Ephesians, but moreover her husband, as noted by Rhett, does not fulfill his part of the bargain as St. Paul declares in verses 25 through 23, husbands, Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. This is what makes Rhett's disparaging comments about Ashley Wilkes ring true. Rhett knows that Melanie deserves so much better, both on a secular and biblical level. And Ashley Wilkes certainly does not deserve her. Even Scarlett notices this. But what keeps Ashley with Melanie and not Scarlett are Melanie's biblical attributes. Eventually, Ashley owns his weakness. He admits that he failed her as a husband. By the novel's end, he proclaims that, if I've ever been strong, it was because Melanie was behind me. In the end, it wasn't a pretty face or sexual attraction that kept him by her side. It was because Melanie lived her faith. She, unlike Scarlett, didn't use God like a rabbit's foot that she rubbed when she needed a material blessing. Melanie sets the example of womanhood to the point where Rhett famously leaves Scarlet and honestly doesn't give a damn about what will happen to her. Melanie sets the standard and it is high. However, for a thousand pages, Margaret Mitchell illustrates through Melanie that to live is Christ and to die is gain. And our female students need to have confidence that men are not going to settle for anything less, that good men are not going to settle for anything less. Melanie never allowed herself to be judged by anyone's standards, whether that was societal, male, female, political, anything. And while Scarlett was too anxious to make money and too fond of bullying people, everyone who knew Melanie clung to her skirts because of her honesty, sincerity, and goodness. This ultimately, according to Margaret Mitchell, is what a man really wants. 
Scarlet learned too late that love is not meant to be taken and held over people's heads like a whip. Too many of our so-called strong female celebrities teach this to our female students and, and to us, even people like me. Women today, Christian women included, are not seeking to be equal with men. We want dominance. Like Scarlet, we will use anything to accomplish this, whether we do it consciously or subconsciously. We will ironically slave our appearance, our intellect, our bodies. We'll even justify physical augmentation in the name of self-esteem. However, this gets Scarlet one thing and one thing only, eventual abandonment. And the novel's very unsatisfying ending drives this reality home. Even Mammy, her mainstay and one of my personal favorite characters in all of American literature, and all the former slaves that Scarlet loved and saved and fought for during the Reconstruction era, they all leave her without even looking back. Originally, Margaret Mitchell's title for the novel was Tomorrow is Another Day. However, she changed it. Scarlet's self-centered and distrustful approach to life really cost her cost her everything. And if a novel's title is supposed to frame a story's meaning, then by living of the world and trusting not in God, but herself only, then everything Scarlet had is quite literally gone with the wind. And she's left only with herself and fear and remorse that the torment of a suddenly awakened conscience has arisen. Consequently, the real question we should ask ourselves and our students is this. What happens when we choose to be enslaved by the world? Now, the novel by the end is left with the reader looking into the future. Yes, outwardly, the future of Scarlet, who now must decide to completely change her life to be born again. Perhaps in the image of Melanie, who is the only woman Scarlet admits that she loved and respected. But for the reader, we must decide how we are going to live tomorrow. Will we be, as Rhett proclaimed to Scarlet, selfish to the end, thinking of our own precious hides? Will our prayers not come, but only in abysmal fear, a certain knowledge that God had turned his face from us for our sins because we like Scarlet cared way too much for the world and not enough about God's view of us. Near the beginning of Rhett and Scarlet's relationship, he says that on the occasion of our first eventual meeting, I thought to myself that I had at last met a girl who was not only beautiful, but who had courage. And now I see that you are only beautiful. <sighs> wow. Let us hope that our young men might have such aspirations for our young women and that our young women might be courageous enough to meet them. Well, thank you so much again for letting me share with you another one of my favorite 
books and why secular literature can help us grow in our faith. I look forward to spending some time with you again and uh, have a wonderful day. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Prose and Context, a podcast from life-giving teaching by the English Department at Lexington Christian Academy. Please subscribe to our podcast and come back again next week.